Amen. What a cool testimony. Well, good morning, Scotts Hill. We're at Faithful Week number five. Who's ready? Yeah? Good. You better be ready because I'm believing God's going to do a work through this message today. Yeah, I'm trusting that we're going to see some transformation take root based on what God is going to do in and through this time together this morning. So let's get right to it. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And as you make your way there in your Bible or in your Bible apps, I want to remind you that if you've missed any of the messages, uh, prior messages of this series, you can definitely catch up online. All you got to do is go to YouTube. Yep, it's that easy. We're on YouTube now. Search Scotts Hill Baptist Church and then subscribe to our channel. Make sure you subscribe because then you can stay up to date with our sermons, all of our messages, our transformation stories like the one you just heard, video recaps of events and all kinds of things like that. Make sure that you're following us and subscribing on YouTube because we're going to be posting all kinds of cool stuff there and you don't want to miss it. So now that we're all caught up or hopefully at least we know how to be caught up, let's go ahead and jump in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 7. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we may not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. And you are witnesses and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the church of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets who drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. Will you join me in praying over this message that God would speak directly to us and that the Holy Spirit would come in power? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity that we have this morning to gather together, to lift up your name, to worship you, and to learn from your truth. God, we are trusting right now that this message will be impacted, empowered by the Holy Spirit itself, that you would be in and through this message, God, that you would use me in a way that makes it clear that these are your words, not mine, and that these words have the very power to transform our lives, and I pray that that's exactly what they do. I pray this all in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, as we look at this passage, man, what jumps out to me right away is this imagery that we see Paul using, the image of a mother and a father. And I mean, I guess it makes sense. I mean, I am the family pastor after all, right? 
I mean, I am kind of trying to view the church through the lens of moms and dads, trying to help them win at home as they disciple their kids, just like we saw the Domax in that video. And if you don't know me, my name's Josh Hansen, family pastor, like I just said. And if you don't follow me on social media, you don't know that I've got a big announcement. In fact, my family is growing. That's right. My wife, Jess, she's pregnant with baby number two. That's right. Yeah, we're very, very excited. Uh, my beautiful wife, she has, uh, you know, a baby in her belly, eight weeks. Baby is strong. We got to see the heartbeat. It was insane watching that thing flutter. But uh, sadly, she's actually not with us because morning sickness is kind of hitting her pretty hard. So if you guys want to lift her up, that would be much appreciated because she's, uh, she's in it right now. And uh, like she likes to say, her body is not her own. And uh, I believe her. I believe her. So, uh, but we're praising God because it's such an incredible opportunity for us to welcome uh, another life into this world and, and to hopefully share the transformational truth of Jesus with this baby. And, and we really do love being parents. Landon, he's a lot of fun. We, we love that little guy um, and he's going to be a big brother, which is crazy to think about um, because it's so much just to to handle him and he demands so much of our attention. I mean, how many parents in the house today know that when you have a kid, your, your life starts to revolve around them? You know, when you have a kid, your schedule no longer reflects your priorities, but instead your child's, right? When you have a kid, they become priority number one or number two or number three, depending on how many kids you have. You could be crazy like my parents and have six kids. Whew, that's nuts. Yeah. But hey, if that's you, cool. You do you. You do that. Jess and I probably will not get there. And my mom's like, oh. Anyways, so we see that your life as a parent kind of revolves around your child a little bit. But we love it. We're, we're learning so much. I mean, we've had to go from bouncing Landon as a crying newborn on a medicine ball because that was the only way we could get him to go to sleep to now chasing this screaming, clumsy tornado of a toddler around our house. And it's an adventure every single day. You never know what you're going to get the next day. But we love it. We're learning so much about Landon, especially like the cool part of seeing his personality start to form and the not-so-cool part of watching him you know, exhibit all of my, you know, not so awesome personality traits, like, you know, stubbornness, unending energy, reckless confidence, and uh, let's see, how do I put this, uh, intense communication, yeah, that, that's, that's probably, that'll do it, yeah, but I mean, I see more and more that my mom got her wish when she used to tell me, I hope you have a kid just like you. <laughs> And I'm seeing it, but maybe even in hyperdrive because Landon, um, he's intense. And you see in this pic, this is actually a special inaugural event that you guys are seeing in this picture because Landon, bless his heart, decided to throw his first temper tantrum in the perfect time and place. 30,000 feet. I mean, if you're going to throw a temper tantrum, might as well throw it. Party in the sky, right? Praise God that this plane was almost empty and that we live in the era of air, earbuds. But if not, I mean, we would have lost our minds because he was kicking and screaming for three hours. The entire flight, that little guy was a monster. 
I, like I said, I mean, praise God. God was looking out for us because we may have been murdered by people around us if the plane was not empty. But we're learning. We're learning how to handle a monster because that's what he is. Don't get me wrong. He's a cute monster. Look at this. He's a cute monster. By the way, it's International Baby Picture Sunday. You guys got any pictures you want to throw up here? <laughs> Phil's got some. I got some. You guys got some? No? Later? Okay, cool. But we, we love that smile so much so that this little stinker gets away with way too much. He flashes us that smile like, can I? And we're like, of course you can. Because as much as we want to, we succumb to his cuteness but we're learning that now, hey, he's 16 months old. It's time, to, it's time to take responsibility as a man. You gotta learn, boy. It's time, but for real though, he, he's starting to understand the, the workings of life. He's starting to learn what's dangerous, what's not starting, keyword starting. Uh, and we, we're trying to teach him. We're trying to teach him to understand what we're saying and why we tell him no when he reaches for the sharp object and why we tell him no when he tries to get into the kitchen cabinets to play with the cleaning supplies, why we tell him no that he can't splash in the toilet, why we tell him no that he can't climb the stairs without us watching him, and why I tell him no that he can't drink my Mountain Dew because that's mine. But the prominent word in the Hanson household nowadays is no. We're constantly having to tell him no because he's running after all the things he shouldn't, as toddlers usually do. But we've even gotten frustrated because, you know, I thought my kid was smarter than this, but he's not learning very fast. You know, I figured I'd give him a week and he'd have it down. He'd learn all the things that are no and you don't touch that and he'd avoid them. He'd be this wise, obedient, God-fearing 16-month-old. guess it's just not, not God's will yet. I'll keep waiting. But reality is that he needed a little bit more of a boost in understanding why. So, all right, Jess and I talked about it. We're like, okay, here's what we're going to do. He's always reaching for stuff, so let's just start to, like, you know, pat him on the hand a little bit forcefully, give him a little slap. Say, hey, nope. You know, just pat him on the hand, nope. Because he, we say no, keeps reaching. We say no, keeps reaching. We say no, he keeps reaching. In fact, he starts looking at us in the eye and be like, you, what, you don't want me to touch this? Watch me touch it. And so... He started to swat his hand, and then he starts to get mad because we're blocking his hand from what he's trying to reach. He starts to cry, and then eventually he keeps reaching, though. Of course, he keeps reaching because he's stubborn. And eventually he'll look at us, eyebrows go down, nostrils flare out, tears are still rolling down his eyes, and he swings back. My little boy is trying to win the UFC featherweight division in our kitchen. Jess has gotten hit way too many times, and we're learning that, hey, he, he's, he's seeing what we're doing, and he's doing the same thing. As parents, we're, we're figuring this out. We're not professionals. I know, shocker. First kid, we're learning as we go, and we're learning, oh, man, we're teaching him that when he does things we don't want, we hit him, and so when mommy and daddy do things he don't want, like stop him from grabbing things he wants, he hits us. And we're learning these things, and it's crazy because there's this curve and these, these principles of parenting that sometimes just take experience, um, and, and it takes a while to learn. But as tough as it gets, it's so worth it. 
It really is. It's so worth it to be able to love on land and to be able to teach him things, to be able to keep him safe. And hopefully, eventually, like I said, share the truth of Jesus with him. There's no greater joy for us as parents. There's no greater joy. And we are not perfect. And there will be so many parenting fails that will be laid out for us in the future. I just know it. But our hope and our prayer as we parent is that we will pursue parenting with transformational truth. That we will pursue parenting with transformational truth. That we want to parent Landon with truth that will actually change his life. And as we looked at this passage, as we read it, we see, you know, we're continuing in this series, Faithful, and we see that Paul, he actually applied parenting principles in his approach as he evangelized and discipled the people in Thessalonica. When he built the church in the Thessalonian church when he was building the kingdom of God, we see that Paul pursued people with transformational truth. That's what he did, and that's what I want us to learn to do as well. We need to pursue people with transformational truth. That needs to be at the core of our relationship with them. Because that's what Paul did, and that's what we see. And, you know, whether you're a parent or not, I really do believe that God is calling us to apply some of these parenting principles as we pursue people with transformational truth. So let's go ahead and unpack this together because this is a cool statement, right? You could tweet that, right? But what does it mean? What does that look like? That sounds good, man. You got your alliteration on. You got two P's, two T's. Come on, get some. But what does that mean? What does it mean to pursue people with transformational truth? Well, let's look at the text because... When I look at verse 7, it's clear to me that sharing Jesus with people requires the heart of a mother. That's what you need. In order to pursue people with transformational truth, you need the heart of the mother. And all the moms in the house started nodding. Mm-hmm. You better believe it. And it's so true. Look at verse 7. What does it say? It says, But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Why does Paul use this image of a, of a mom taking care of her children? Because there's not a whole lot of stronger love than a, what a mother has for her child. There's not a whole lot more of a relational, sacrificial love than what a mom will do for her child. And Paul says, listen, when I came to you, when I, when I approached you in, in Thessalon, Thessalonica with the, with the goal of evangelism, which is a fancy word for saying, when I came to share Jesus with you, when I came to tell you about who Jesus is and what he's done for me, what he's done for the world, I did it with the heart of a mother. See, you have to remember that before Paul came to the Thessalonians, they, they didn't know God, they were lost. They were hopeless, kind of like a baby without its mom. They were hopeless. But Paul came and we're so encouraged because we see that now he's writing to a Christian church in Thessalonica because he came to them with the heart of a mother. See, telling people about Jesus requires the heart of a mother, but what does the heart of a mother look like? Let's keep digging. The heart of a mother is patient. The heart of a mother is is so, so patient. I've seen this flesh itself out so much with my wife, Lando. I, 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 she's with him all day long, and yet she continues to show him patience. I'm with him for five minutes, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to put you to bed. Is it bedtime yet? 
Nah, not really, but for real, though, she shows so much patience for him. And we see it in verse 7 again. Look, it says, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother. Now, I see some eyebrows raising, and you're like, wait, what do you mean gentle? When I, when I hear gentle mother, the picture that I come up with is, you know, her soft touch as she holds her baby, her, her sweet whisper to get the baby to go to sleep. What does that have to do with patience? What does that have to do with patience? Well, actually, the word used here is more like a picture of a mother handling a disobedient and wild child. <clears throat> Landon. That, that, that's the picture. It's more like a good teacher handling a disruptive and difficult student. It's the idea of a committed coach who handles a troubled kid on the team. It's this idea that it takes patience to lovingly care for somebody to this degree. That's what it means when he says we were gentle. He said, I approached it with the heart of a mother and this heart was patient. I knew that you were going to be disobedient. That's what I expected because, hey, you were lost. You didn't know Jesus. I'm not going to put the requirements of a Christian on a community that doesn't know him, that doesn't know God. How ridiculous is that? We're going to expect you to live and walk like God and follow after God when you don't actually believe in him. That's crazy, but man, we do it sometimes, right? We forget to approach evangelism, approach sharing Jesus with people with the same gentle patience that Paul did for the Thessalonians. We got to be patient with their ability to understand. We got to be patient with their desire for God, patient with their heart for God. And most importantly, we got to be patient for God to do the work. Because God's the one who's going to transform lives. It's not you. It's going to be the work of God. So we got to be patient with that heart of a mother. And with that in mind, I, I, I want to say that if you're here today or you're watching online, I want to make sure you know that if you're unsure about your faith today, if you're here, you're a teenager and you're here because your parents brought you forcibly. You're here because, man, life is just hard right now and somebody told you, hey, come check out church, find some hope there. Or if you just wandered off the street, hey, good for you. We're kind of tucked back off of 17. Good job finding us. I don't know why you're here this morning, but if you are here and you're unsure about your faith, first off, I want to say I'm glad you're here. I, I truly believe God is speaking to you today. I truly believe that God has a message for you today, and I hope and pray that you have felt welcomed and loved. I hope that, that you didn't feel judged and that if you have, you would let that go right now because I'm here to tell you we want you here exactly where you are in your faith walk. We want to be patient with you where you are. We are willing to meet you where you are. And as I've been talking about transformational truth, I apologize because you know what? That, that's not necessarily clear. What does that mean? I want to tell you exactly what that means this morning. I'm talking about the message of Jesus. But the message of Jesus actually kind of starts with you. See, because the truth is, the transformational truth is that you're not perfect. Spoiler. You're not perfect. And second, this world is broken. Also, not a big surprise. That's our reality. But it's not how God intended for it. 
See, God created the world and he created it to be perfect. But then disobedience, we, we disobeyed God. It entered into the world and it's called sin. And what's happened is it's trickled down generation after generation and it spread like a virus. And now you have the life that you have right now that, that is not perfect, living in a broken world. It's the result of disobedience. But here's the good news. This is why it's transformational. Because that's just the stage. Now the hero enters the picture. See, God made a way for you to overcome that brokenness, for you to find freedom from imperfection, and for you to be reunited with him for all eternity. And that way is a person. It's Jesus Christ. It's his one and only son that he sent to this earth, get this, to pay for your sins. You disobey and Jesus pays for it. You disobey, Jesus gets punished. What do you get? You get unconditional love. What do you get? You get freedom from sin. What do you get? You get eternal life with God. That's the transformational truth that I'm talking about. And what does it mean for you? It means that you need to believe. It means that you need to do what we saw happen in the baptism. You need to accept that, yeah, my life's a mess. I, I'm imperfect and I can't fix myself. Two, believe that Jesus is who he says he was. Put your faith in him. And three, confess him as Lord. Submit your life to him and commit to following him. That will transform your life. I promise you, if you believe that today, right here and right now, you will become a new person. And if you're feeling that tug in your heart this morning, man, I urge you to follow it. I urge you to follow it. Because God wants to do incredible things with your life, but you have to surrender it in faith. But if you're not there yet, I'm making good on what I said earlier. If you're not there yet, we will be patient with you. We want to walk with you in this journey. We want to be there as you start to ask some faith questions and stir up some unsettling things surrounding God in your life. We want to be a church that comes alongside you when you're wrestling in doubt. And yes, we don't want to delay because the truth is tomorrow's not promised. Tomorrow's not promised. We want you to, to come to faith in Jesus before something were to happen to you, but know that we're willing to walk with you with patience because that's the heart of the mother that we see here in this passage. But at the same time, you better know we're gonna keep talking about Jesus. You keep coming, you're gonna keep hearing about Jesus. You keep coming, you're gonna keep hearing about his salvation for you. You keep coming, you're gonna keep hearing people talk about your need for him. You keep coming, you're gonna hear this passion that, that cannot be contained because it literally has transformed lives in this building. You're going to hear it again and again because the truth is the heart of a mother is also persistent. The heart of a mother is also persistent. And that's what we want to be. We're not going to stop pursuing you with Jesus. Verse 8 says it this way. It says, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Because you would become very dear to us. 
Listen, the reason that we're going to continue to talk about Jesus is because we care about your soul. Affectionately desirous of somebody means you are going to continue to pursue them out of love. That is literally the love of God for us. Because he chases us down, amen? We turn away, he keeps coming. We sin, he keeps forgiving. We disobey, and he keeps loving. That is our God, that is his character, that is his heart for his people. And so we want to echo that heart and keep chasing people with the message of Jesus because we care about their souls. And when you have the affection that, that God gives you for other people, when you see people the way God does, you're ready to love them well and love them persistently because, hey, how many of you in this room know that you're a hot mess on a regular basis? Come on, humble yourself real quick. You are a sinner, you're a hot mess from time to time, and you're hard to love. I know that. Marriage taught me that. My wife's pretty easy to love by comparison. But we're all hard to love, so it's going to take persistence. And I want you to know that we want to be a church that's persistent in sharing the gospel. Persistent with the heart of a mother, the, the heart of a mother who's willing to go the extra mile for her children. And as we share this gospel, it means that going the extra mile means you got to be intentional sometimes, right? You can't just randomly do things, you got to plan it out. That's why most moms are really good planners. <laughs> See, because you gotta, you got to figure out what you're trying to do so you get the best result. Let me tell you, when you're trying to share about Jesus, you got to use intentional language. You really do. You have to use intentional language. Because how many of you know you can't talk to a kid the way you talk to an adult? I mean, believe me, I tried. I sat down with Landon the other day, and I wanted to discuss the political climate in America today. So, of course, I sit down with him. I say, all right, son, hey, tell me, what do you think? Do we have any hope for bipartisan legislature? Or is it just a foregone conclusion that we're just never going to get it and it's over whoever wins the House and wins the Senate? I mean, that's the only way that's going to happen. You know what he said to me? Bye. It was ridiculous. It was like he wasn't even listening. No, I'm kidding. I, you know what I do with my son? I say, nose. This is your nose. That's what I do with my son right now. I meet him where he's at. I got to meet Landon where he's at. I'm not going to talk to him like he's an adult and try to say, hey, Lando, you got to be up on my level, bro. I say, no, I got to get down on yours because that's what God did for us. God didn't say, hey, climb your way to heaven. He said, I'm going to come down. I'm going to get my feet dirty. There's going to be blisters because I'm walking, chasing you. How many of you know that God came down for us to meet us in our mess and gave us the example of that's how we approach others. We've got to be persistent in meeting them where they're at. Because come on, I mean, think about a new believer. You gotta be careful with this insider language and, and pursuing deep theology too fast, too, too quick. Because what's a new believer or somebody who doesn't know Jesus, how are they gonna respond when you say, man, I praise God that I was washed by the lamb that I have that eternal atoning sacrifice. Woo, hallelujah. They're either going to be confused or scared, probably both. See that insider language? Listen, it's true and there is a theological explanation that is good in due time. 
But that's not your opening argument. <laughs> you got to understand how to meet people where they are, right? You got to understand how to meet people where they are because that's what real persistence looks like. Because you're looking out for their best interest, not your own. Because the heart of a mother is also protective, guys. The heart of a mother is also protective. I know I got some mama bears in the house today. You're sweet as sugar most of the time, but if somebody messes with your baby, uh-oh. Claws are coming out. Yup. I know I'm preaching to somebody today. It's the truth. You, as a mom, you just have this insane, protective nature where it's like, I'm not a fighter, but I will be for my kid. And that heart of a mother is the same that same attitude is what we need when we're pursuing people. We got to say, hey, listen, I love you so much that I'm going to keep fighting for you to know Jesus. That I'm going to look out for your best interests and I'm going to remove any obstacle that's in the way of you knowing Jesus. I'm willing to go there. That's what Paul did. Look at verse 9. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Here's what Paul's saying. Saying, listen, we didn't come to you, we didn't come to you Thessalonians and say, hey, listen, we ain't got no money because we're poor, we're just talking about Jesus, so you gotta feed us, house us, and we're gonna put this huge financial burden on you. No, you know what Paul said? He said, all right, I'm gonna take the night shift so I can preach all day. I'm not gonna give you any burden at all because I, I want nothing to stand in the way of you knowing Jesus. I want nothing, so I'm going to protect your best interest, even if it means i got to work all night. It's that protective nature. A mom will go to incredible lengths to protect her kids, and Paul does the same thing here. That's what he said, and we need to do the same thing. We need to go to incredible lengths to make sure people hear the gospel of Jesus. That's what Paul reminds us. And listen, it's not going to be easy. That's what it says. It was hard and he experienced hardship. It'll cost you, but it's worth it. So when we share Jesus, man, we got to approach it with the heart of a mother, patient, persistent, and protective. That's what we got to do. But that's only the beginning. Wait, are you only halfway done with your sermon? I got lunch plans, bro. Sorry about it. Blame the word. Blame the word. But it's only half of the picture. In fact, it's just the beginning. It's just the foundation because what we see next is discipleship. Because when people come to faith in Jesus, what they need is to grow. They need to be taught how to actually walk it out. Okay, cool. I had this incredible experience. I felt the presence of God. I was overwhelmed. And now I know I woke up a new person. But now what? Where do I start reading? In Genesis? Whoa, this is weird. Don't even talk to me about Leviticus. What, what, what do I read? Where do I go? What do I do? Can I keep doing this thing or is that a sin? What's a sin? What's not? What's going on? That's where we have to do life on life, life discipleship and we need the guidance of a father. That's what you need when you're sharing about Jesus. You need the heart of a mother. And as you're discipling and helping people grow in their faith, you need the guidance of a father. Now, I'm not talking about the do as I say, not as I do type of guidance because that ain't guidance, that's garbage. 
do as I say, not as I do, that's confusing and frustrating. What do you mean I can't watch TV? You're watching TV. I have to eat broccoli and you're eating pizza? No, thank you. The only way, the only way it applies is with Mountain Dew. I checked with God. But it's, it's actually a horrible way to lead somebody. Because how many of you know the truth that you can't lead somebody to a place you've never been? True guidance comes from experience. No, the type of guidance I'm talking about is what we see in verse 10. <clears throat> you are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. You need a role model. You need somebody who puts their money where their mouth is, somebody who's living it out. That's the type of guidance we're talking about. And so when you think about doing life on life, listen, very clearly, this is not about perfection. You're not expected to be perfect. You're not expected to never sin and never slip up because if you slip up, then, hey, I can't disciple somebody, I guess. Well, everyone would be disqualified from discipleship if that were true. No, he's saying your efforts are to be the best role model and to be intentional about how you walk don't just give it lip service, but actually live it out. Discipleship is life on life. I think we miss that. Sometimes we think, man, I got a discipleship, you know, I got a friend that I'm in discipleship with. We meet once a month. We meet for coffee. It's about, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. We share prayer requests and we get real deep, you know. I hate to break it to you, but that's not real discipleship. You don't know what's going on in his walk. You're not with him day to day. You don't see him. He doesn't see you. She doesn't see you. You don't see her. You need life on life. You got to know what's going on. That's discipleship. Saying, hey, I'm inviting you into my life. Yes, my house is a mess. My wife and I are in the middle of a fight and my son will throw a toy at your head. But man, we're trying to follow Jesus. It's saying, hey, I'm stressed out at work, but you know what? I'm willing to meet with you consistently, and I need you to help me process my stress. It's stop playing church and start living it. That's what discipleship is. We can't keep dressing up and looking perfect on a Sunday. We got to start inviting people into the mess and saying, look at how much I rely on God. That's discipleship saying, Brother, look at I am completely dependent on Jesus. I'm a mess without him. Sister, I, I can't get up in the morning if I don't have Jesus. That's what we need in discipleship. Life on life, reliance on the Father. And so you walk that way. Verse 11 and 12 points it out. It says, for you know how we, like a father with his children, we exhorted you, each one of you, and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So the guidance of a father, it challenges us to walk worthy. It challenges us. When you enter into discipleship, you got to set the bar high. You got to say, hey, listen, now that you've come to faith in Jesus, this is how it is. This is how it is. We got to live this way. But then right after that, real quick, you, you don't hit him with the the hard truth, and then walk away. No, you come in and you comfort. See the word exhort? That's the challenging word. That's a strong advice. That's a challenge to meet a mark. That's setting the bar high, but then right after it is encouraged. So we comfort. 
The guidance of a father challenges and then it comforts real quick. Because this Christian life, man, it is up and down. There are hills and there are valleys, right? There are moments where you're close to God and moments where you, you don't even know where you went. Moments where you're singing hallelujah and moments where you are bawling, asking for him to move. And so we need comfort. You need to be able to come alongside each other and say, you can get back up. Let's go. We can make it through this. And the third thing the guidance of a father does is it champions. This one's probably my favorite, not just because, you know, athlete, you want to be the champion, what's better than being the champion? Nothing. Yeah. Not just that, but I love what this actually fleshes itself out to be and how it actually impacts discipleship. Look back at the verse. This is what it says. It says, and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. And I know some of you are thinking, hey, Josh, charged starts with C, so did your other ones. Why didn't you just use that word? I like champion better, okay? Also, the truth of it is, is that when you charge somebody to a task, you're championing them. Because nobody charges somebody to a task. Nobody hires somebody expecting them to fail. Nobody gives somebody an opportunity saying, yep, you're going to flop. No, we don't do that. When you charge somebody to a task, you're going to champion them across the finish line. That's what it means. That's, that's what we see here. And so <clears throat> you have to have a belief in somebody. And this is so essential to our life and faith because you know this to be true. It is very hard to believe in God when nobody believes in you. It is very hard to believe in God when you feel like nobody believes in you. You want to talk about purpose and promise? I don't feel any worth. I don't feel any value. That's our job in discipleship is to believe in people, see their potential. And listen, I'm preaching to myself right now because I have the propensity, confession time, to write people off. That's real. I'm just being honest. It's a struggle of mine. I'm like, nah, I see it. This is their capacity. It's right here. They're done. They reached it. And shame on me for not allowing God to really work and transform somebody to reach a potential that's more than they can even imagine, more than I could ever imagine. But that's what championing is all about. And I was so blessed to have a dad who did this for me, especially as a younger kid. My dad, I believe, truthfully, was one of the best, if not the best, youth wrestling coach in the history of Minnesota wrestling. Call me biased. But he won a lot of state championships and he coached a lot of kids that went from scrawny, scared, uncoordinated, awkward, and saw them win tournament after tournament and championship after championship and wrestle towards crazy success throughout their careers. And I believe the reason that he had that and reason he was so successful is because he would champion every kid. He was famous for this, is what he would do. So youth wrestling, they're not very tall, so this is what my dad do. He'd squat down like this, and he'd look them in the eye right before their match. And he'd say, I believe in you. You got this. Look them dead in their eye and say, I saw how hard you were working. You know the moves. You can beat this kid. You're better than him. And he spoke life into these kids. He spoke the truth of their identity and their promise into them. He reminded them of who they were, somebody who was capable. 
Somebody who was able. And that's what we need to do when we disciple somebody. We got to come behind and say, listen, I see a future that's better than today in you. I believe you can accomplish this. I see more in you than you see in yourself. We got to champion people. Because when we do that, then they'll actually start to, to imitate us. That's what happened in, in the church in Thessalonica. 14a, for you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. They became the model church because they were championed. They became the model church because Paul evangelized to them with the heart of a mother, with patience, persistence, and he protected them with the guidance of a father that challenged and comforted and championed them. They became a model church because of the way that Paul approached it. And guys, we can become a church that builds God's church, big C church, that same way. But we got to remember the failure of a few as well. We have to remember the failure of a few. Because as we continue reading, the second half of 14 all the way through 16 says this, For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. And displease God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but the wrath has come upon them at last. This is what we see right here. Paul isn't saying all Jews are bad, but he's saying, listen, don't be like the Jews because this is what they did. They lived an entitled life. They were entitled. They felt like, hey, we're the chosen people. Don't give the gospel to the Gentiles. That's ours. We earned that. God chose us. And they were so entitled, they had this attitude that it, you see, an entitlement attitude creates enemies out of people. An entitlement attitude creates enemies out of people, and this is what happened. So then they got exclusive. They said, no, you can't share the gospel with them. They tried to put a stop to it. Paul was one of the greatest proponents of this movement saying, no, stop the gospel. It is ours. We get the Messiah. Nobody else gets him. <laughs> how many of you know who Jesus was and how he lived? He said, you're a dirty, rotten sinner? Cool, let's grab lunch. You caught in adultery? Still in sin? Cool, let's chat. I'm gonna meet you where you're at and I'm gonna love you with a grace that you can't even fathom. That's our God. And it doesn't work with this mindset. We can't be a church that's exclusive. We can't be a church that's entitled. There's a warning I want us to take seriously. Are these walls just for us? Are these walls just for us? Is this a church full of like-minded conservative Christians? Or are we striving to be a melting pot of people who are at different places in their faith journey with Jesus? Is this message just for us? Is the saving power of the gospel a feel-good that raises a few amens on a Sunday? Or is it an anthem that we take out into our communities? We're made for greater impact. We're made to reach people, love people, share Jesus with people, invite people, disciple people. And we have to remember this warning. We have to fight the urge because, guys, this urge to be entitled and exclusive, it's in every one of us. We will slide into it if we're not careful. And if you're sitting there today thinking, oh, not me. 
you have the same potential to slide into it as anybody else. We all will. We have to be so vigilant to live different. Because that's the church that we're supposed to be. I never want Scottsdale to be known to be entitled or exclusive, but that we would sacrifice our preferences, that we would seek out the lost, that we would welcome them into the family of God, because that's the church. Evangelism is necessary, guys, because we have a message worth sharing. And that goes for everybody. If you've been saved by Jesus, you've got a story that's worth sharing. You've got a message about a God who met you in your mess and saved you. Share it. Don't keep for yourself what builds the kingdom of God. It's the gospel that builds the kingdom of God. Don't keep it to yourself. How are they going to come to faith if they don't hear? And discipleship is necessary because we know of lives worth shaping. We don't just hand out a pamphlet. We invite people into our lives. And we do things that might be awkward, might be unnatural, but maybe that's just why they're transformational. We gotta invite people into our lives with real discipleship that's life on life. Galatians 6 reminds us that we gotta bear each other's burdens. We gotta walk knee deep in this mess together. Not just when a hurricane hits, but all the time. So what do we do? As we close today, I, I want to pose a few questions for you and charge you with some action statements based on. First, it's this. Who has God placed in your life to share the gospel with? Who is it? Who has God placed in your life? Maybe you're here today and boom, you, I didn't even finish that sentence and you had a name. Or maybe you're like me and confession time round two, getting real today. I don't have a name. I mean, outside of student ministry where there's some students that maybe need to come to know Jesus, I don't have a name because I haven't been intentional with my relationships outside of here. And I need to get after it. But here's a cool thing. If you don't have a name right now, God will give you one. God will give you one. Ask and you shall receive. I promise you if you say, hey, God, give me a name. You might not even say amen and he's already given it to you. Here's what you do with that name. Start intentional conversations this week. Intentional conversation, Josh, what are you talking about? To put it as simply as I can, it's you saying, hey, I want to know about your life. I don't want to talk about the weather. I don't want to talk about, you know, who you're voting for. I want to talk about you. How are you doing? Like, really? Not, I'm good. Like, how are you doing? How's 2020 treating you so far? You feel like you're on the mountaintop or are you in a valley? Talk to them about real life and ask them questions that dig a little bit because you know what that'll teach them? That'll say, hey, I care about what's really important. I'm not gonna waste my time talking about the weather. I wanna know about your heart. Start intentional conversations with those people this week and then watch God open a door to share the gospel and follow that prompting when he gives it to you. And two, the second question, who is God calling you to disciple? This one might be more difficult, but I think I can help out a good number of people by saying, if you're a parent, guess what? It's your kids. It's your kids. Yep, 
You are the primary disciple maker for your kids. It's you. God gave them to you so that you could disciple them. Not alone. That's what we're here for. That's what I'm here for. That's why I have a job. We want to partner with you every step of the way, but your role is to disciple your kids. That's the person you should focus in on. If, if you're feeling like, I, I got to figure out who I'm discipling, it's my kid, my kids. And if you don't have a name or you're not a parent, here's the deal. Who's a generation younger than you? Find somebody and say, hey, I got some life experience. I'd love to share it with you. Who's a generation younger than you that you can pour into? And that goes all the way down the board. That's why I love Student Serve. We got high schoolers pouring into the lives of little ones. Come on. Discipleship is happening. And what are you supposed to do with that name who God is calling you? Reach out and invite them into a relationship. I'm, I mean it, like life on life. Like, hey, you know, we're going to meet my house. You're going to see my mess. It's going to be real. I'm going to invite you in. We're going to walk through life together. And it's going to be real. Because that's how God will transform their lives. That's what God did with the church in Thessalonica. That's what he wants to do with this church when we walk faithfully towards it. So as we close today, I want us to close with a worship song. I want us to be reminded of the reason that we share a message at all because the message of Jesus. I want us to be reminded of the truth that we've been discipled and that's why we're here today. So let's sing together as we close and lift up Jesus' name high. Would you stand with me and pray as we prepare to worship? God, thank you for this message. Thank you for this truth. I pray that we would not just hear it, but God, that you would inspire us, that you would urge us, that you would work in us in such a way that we would walk it out this week. God, thank you for Jesus because he changes everything. It's in his name we pray, amen.